the Recovery Elevator, episode 125. I've never been into all of that. And now I keep saying to people, you know, you've got to love yourself. Number one, you have to love yourself because <laughs> I didn't love myself for 40 years. I haven't loved myself. And I think that's where the bingy stuff comes from. You know, it's fill the hole, fill whatever's missing. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for 1,022 days. On today's podcast, we've got Dawn. She's been sober since November 27th, 2016. She's 42 years old and from the UK. Okay, let's get started. In Cafe RE the other day, we had a webinar which was focused on why taking action was so hard and why we put our energy and our efforts in the wrong place. That would be the results. So if you can't say it better yourself, go ahead and take a quote from a Buddhist guy or something like that. You have a right to your actions, but never to the results of your actions. Act for the actions sake. By Bhavagata Gita. Sorry, Mr. Gita, if I messed your name up there. Basically, what we determined after the webinar was it's much better to focus on the action and not the result. We are definitely in a results-orientated society. We want gold stars, we want ribbons, we want medals, and we want cookies, and we want all that shit now. In fact, we can actually sabotage our results by placing all our brain power on them and not the first step in action. What we need to do in getting sober is focus on the journey and not the destination. You might be saying to yourself, wow, Paul, you must have a white beard that touches the floor because you've got the wisdom of a 5,000-year-old man. Yep, I know. I've heard that line a million times before, but it's true. We need to focus on today and not worried about the results. One huge benefit of doing this is we can stop comparing ourselves to others because that whole comparison game is a lose-lose for everybody who plays it. So... Focusing on the process rather than the outcome is a much better strategy, and here's why. It eliminates the noise of external factors. Success can follow a flawed effort, and failure can follow a flawless effort. In those cases, judging performance by outcome will reinforce the wrong techniques. You'll achieve mastery of a new skill more quickly if you can learn to detect those cases and reinforce the correct processes whether or not they happen to lead to the desired outcome in that instance. It also encourages experimentation. When you're wholly focused on a specific desired result, you're less willing to try long shots. You're less inclined to experiment, less open to serendipity, great movie by the way, and less likely to stumble on what even better outcome than the one you were aiming for. Focusing on the action and not the results allows you to enjoy the process more. Life is lived in the present, not in the future, and happiness is a process, not a place. Focusing on process will let you engage more deeply with the present and experience it more fully, which will help you learn faster and experience life more completely. Now be careful with this one, with the word control, but if you focus on the action and not the result, it puts you in more control. You have only partial control over whether you reach a specific external goal but you have complete control over the process you use. Whether you give, your best effort is entirely within your power. Another reason why, it lets you enjoy and benefit more from whatever outcome does occur. 
In the long run, things rarely turn out the way we expect them to. Season 3 of 24 with Jack Bauer. If your happiness is predicted on your success, and if your success is predicted on a specific outcome, you are setting yourself up for a high likelihood of frustration and disappointment. If you instead let go of the need for any particular outcome, you increase your chances for success and contentment. I learned all this firsthand right before I hit my two years of sobriety. I was focusing on the result so much, the bar was set so high, that I had a near breakdown before I hit two years of sobriety this last September. I was focused on what should be in my bank account, what body fat percentage I should be at, that I had totally lost sight of the journey. I wasn't focusing on the day-to-day enjoyment of being sober. And when I look back at what it was like prior September 7th, 2014, my life is so much better today than it was before. That was a shitstorm. It was like eating a shit taco every single day. And I don't want to do that anymore. It didn't taste good. No, not even a bit. So, Pablo, great advice. I'm going to focus on the action and not the result. But how can we do this? So don't pursue the rewards directly. You got to trust that they will come. This whole getting sober thing, it's a blind leap of faith. You must trust that it will be positive in the long run. Focus on the process with diligent and effortful study and let the outcome take care of itself. Maybe not focus on sobriety, but take action on not drinking. Again, wow, Paul, you're like Gandalf status right now. Another way is you can stop worrying about what others think of your performance. Next up, view each attempt as merely practice for the next attempt. That's a big one right there. A lot of times we draw the line in the sand as the definitive line as sober or not sober, success and failure. However, the days that we don't make it, they're not days wasted. Yes, I'm a fan of continuous sobriety, hence why I mention at the beginning of every single one of my podcasts. But I've had long bouts of sobriety before that that I drank. Did I throw those times away? Is that all for waste? Absolutely not. What that was, it was great practice for where I'm at today. Another way to focus on the action and not the result is choose for yourself how to rate your performance. Rate yourself based on the effort, not the outcome. You can bring mindfulness into this process. Bring awareness to your performance, either during or immediately after it. You can learn to identify when bad results follow good processes and vice versa. But most importantly, it's the action that has to happen. There's so much trepidation and so many roadblocks that we personally put in front of us before taking action. But you can actually practice taking action. Each time we take action, we develop that action muscle And it gets a little easier over time. Okay, before we hear from Don, let's hear from Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. 
If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Don, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking, Don. Before we get any further, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? I just got to the six-month mark on the 27th of May, so a couple of days ago from now. Yep, six months. So November 27th is your sobriety date, right? That's correct, yeah, 2016. Congratulations on that. And give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, what do you like to do for fun, do you have a family, and things like that. Okay, I don't have a family. I'm single. I'm from Poole in Dorset in the UK. In the daytime, I work in accounts, very boring. And in the evening, I'm generally working on my blog. So that takes up quite a lot of my time. But yeah, accounts by day, creative by night. Nice. And what do you like to do for fun? It's a bit tough at the moment, actually, because I don't get lots of spare time. I love going out for dinner, smaller groups these days rather than parties. I like walking. I keep setting myself small challenges, walking to work at the moment every day. And I've just set myself a challenge to do 10,000 steps a day for the whole of June. So yeah, that keeps me busy. Boom. Walking is rad without a doubt. Sounds like an awesome goal for yourself. (laughs) 10,000 steps a day. Yeah. If you say it like that, 10,000 steps sounds like a hell of a lot of steps, but if you just take, Oh, wait for it. (laughs) Here comes the metaphor. One step at a time. You're going to be just fine. (laughs) See what I did there. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I see what you did. Yeah. (laughs) Doing this for a while now. I didn't even have to write that one on the wall before I hit record (laughs) button. So I'm I'm good on that one. Yeah. And so Don, you emailed me and you mentioned that you almost did an experiment And then you decided to remain alcohol-free for good. And tell us more about this experiment to live your life without alcohol. You were just going to do it temporarily. Is that that what I understand? Yeah. So the plan was I was going to start at midnight on New Year's Eve, so 2016 over to 2017. And I had a vision that I was going to be stood there with a glass of Prosecco in my hand, the clock behind me, and that was going to be it. And I was going to give up alcohol for a year. Unfortunately, things didn't work out quite like that because I was struck down with flu. It was around the end of November and I just decided that what was the point in starting drinking again after being in bed for two weeks? I thought I might as well carry on. So my last drink was the 27th of November. I think I took to my bed about a week later and a week after that kind of came crawling out ready for Christmas. And yeah, basically just decided that I was going to start early. So that's how my sobriety date actually started before 2017. I decided that I was going to write about my journey. I'd had a blog before, which had gone quite well amongst my friends. So I thought I'd just document my journey. I thought it was going to be full of misery, to be honest, and that it was going to be, oh, God, you know, today I really want a drink. And, you know, yeah, just full of misery. But actually, it's been full of positivity, which is why I kind of decided to carry on. And Don, I think I might have had the date wrong, or maybe I heard it wrong. But to clarify, you wanted to start on January 1st, 2017 at midnight, the very first second yep. of the new year. And then you got yep. the flu in November and you're like, screw it. I'm just starting right now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
because I, for two weeks I was literally bedridden. So and I didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't do anything. So there was no point because I was smoking as well. So there was no point in going back to anything. So that's why the date is slightly before 2017. Nice. And we've heard on this podcast many times that the very best time to get sober is today due to the progressive features of this disease, alcoholism. And I don't think features is a good word at all, but I fully stand behind that is in today is the very best day. If you're listening right now and you've set a date far into the future, you know, after the 4th of July or something like that to get sober, I highly recommend you just nip it in the butt and get going right now on that journey. Are you glad that you started on November 27th instead of on oh, January 1st? Definitely. I mean, but the, re- the reason I did start actually on that day, uh, you know, after I got better was I was thinking, well, I can drink next Christmas. If I start this November, this November, the next December, it'll be party on time. So I was still <laughs> in the mindset gotcha. that, that next year was just going to be a party. And I think that's the one thing that surprised me really is how much my mindset has changed to when you think I was still thinking, oh, Christmas Day, I can get drunk next year. You know, it just seems ridiculous now that I even thought that. Yeah. So let me, in my opinion, this is what I, what I'm hearing. You mentioned that, you know, quitting drinking has been great. It's been awesome. There's been a lot of pros and not a lot of cons and it has not been as hard as you thought it was going to be. Is that safe to say? That's safe to say. Yeah. Gotcha. And then what I have found, because I have had a stint of sobriety and in this sobriety time, it's been difficult to, you know, to say the least, but at times it's like, wow, this, this is awesome. And I'm, the way I've made it this far in sobriety and been successful is I'm looking at it as an opportunity instead of a sacrifice. And the sacrifice yes. is, you know, you're, you're tapping into the willpower resources. Is that something that you're experiencing as well, that you're looking at this as more of an opportunity instead of a sacrifice? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think I realized how unhappy I was drinking and and I did certainly didn't realize how happy I'd be without it. If I just explain maybe how I was drinking, I was more of a binge drinker than a drink every day, drink in the morning type of person. So my weekend, you know, it'd be properly drinking from Friday to Sunday and drinking copious amounts of alcohol to the point that I was sick the next day, probably all day. So my drinking was kind of in small spates of time, but as much as physically possible. And so I don't see that as a sacrifice, giving that up, that kind of mentality. Do you know what I mean? Because it was so bingy and then purging the next day. So it was almost more like self-harm than anything else, if you like. Bingy, good word. Yeah. I love it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, one other question. Um, so how old are you? I forgot that in the first part. I'm 42. 42. Okay. And then, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about your drinking habits. So you said it looked bingy. And, yep. you know, when did you first realize that perhaps you wanted to quit drinking? Was it something that happened? I was conscious that I was drinking too much in one sitting, late nights, not remembering getting home or how I got home. You know, that kind of kind of dangerous drinking, really, because anything could happen on your walk home. So it was kind of in the back of my mind that I wasn't happy with the way that I drank. I'm not somebody that would, you know, if I drove somewhere, I'd have nothing rather than have one glass of wine. Because if I had one, then I'd be thinking, oh, where shall I leave the car? Where shall I get the car from tomorrow? You know, it, it wouldn't stay at one. So I could take it or leave it if I was driving the car and then I would have none. But once I'd started, it was difficult to stop. I'm not quite sure when I 
decided that I was going to give the year ago. I saw an article about it had before and after photos in and the people just looked amazing. You know, the people before looked very unhappy, very unhealthy, skin bad. And the after photos looked amazing. And that was the article that got me thinking, hang on a minute, you know, this this could be me. But I still don't think that I, I thought I looked that bad. But now I look at before and after photos, I didn't look very good. So I was obviously in a bit of a bad, bad way and just didn't really realize it myself, I don't think. I see a lot of before and after photos and they are astounding. And Facebook yeah. has this feature called, you know, your memories and it just randomly will mm. throw up a photo of seven or eight to 10 years ago or whenever. And I look at those mm. and I'm like, oh my God, my face is I fat. Uh, I know. Yeah, I just look miserable. It's brutal. I know. I, I've done quite a few of them on the blog. Uh, the funny thing is, is the photos that I'm picking for the before ones, I thought, you know, at the time I didn't think I looked so bad. But now, I mean, yeah. oh, my God, my skin, my skin is massively different. And I never thought I had a problem with my skin. I thought my skin was all right. And my skin was not OK. But the one comment that most people have made is my eyes, because my eyes are quite blue. And so they kind, they kind of stand out in pictures. And I always thought they stood out before. But now they really do stand out. Does that make sense? Oh, I'm sure um, they pop now. Yeah, they do. And yeah, and th they just look dull and lifeless in photos from before. It, so it, it, that was another part that I wanted to do with the blog was to document it in photos. It was supposed to be full length photos because I've lost quite a lot of weight now since I started. So it was supposed to be full length photo on New Year's Eve um, and going forward. But I was so fat, I didn't want a photo taken. So unfortunately, there's not that many full length photos to show the difference. But I think now I weighed tonight and I've lost 30 and a half pounds since the 3rd of January. Wow. So, nice job. Yeah. Thank, thank you for making that conversion to stones to pounds. We would have all been lost here. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm lost most of the time with the conversion as well. But I because I got weighed tonight, I know. Yeah, it's 30, 30.5. Love it. And can you tell me about a time? When you started drinking and you found the off switch a little difficult to find. I know you mentioned that, you know, you started drinking. It was just harder and harder to, to stop. And was that progressive for you? Did it become harder and harder to stop? Yeah, I mean, I think I was born without an off switch. You know, I'm I'm bingy about lots of things. You know, if I have biscuits in the house, I have to eat all of them. I can't just have one and save the rest till the next day. I've got to keep going. So my nature is quite bingy anyway. And I mean, when I first started drinking, I, you know, I, I think I, I don't know. I mean, I sipped alcohol when I was younger of my parents' drinks and things like that. But probably the first time I remember getting really drunk, I was probably about 15, 16. And I was quite a lightweight. I, I didn't really drink very much. And it but it always made me sick. I was just always sick, which now I look back. It's like, well, that's a massive warning, warning sign in itself. Mm -hmm. And then. I, I guess it was probably like early 20s that you're living with, you know, you're not living with your parents, you're living with your friends. You know, there's always a bottle of wine on the go. The bottle of wine becomes two bottles of wine. You know, I lived with my best friend. Drinking was a massive part of our lives together. You know, the men that I met, drinking was a massive part of that as well. So it just kind of, it didn't spiral rapidly, but I guess if you look back, it was a, a spiral going, you know, getting bigger and bigger and more and more being consumed to get to the same point, really. Yeah, I want to touch up upon what you just said about, you know, it didn't spiral rapidly, but when you look back, 
It was definitely yeah. spiraling. And it wasn't until yeah. I took that honest true look at my life. This is probably 2008 and 2009. You know, you sometimes even need to take a pen to paper. And the problem with alcohol is that it kills so slowly that spiral can just, mm -hmm. it doesn't spiral out of control. Like you said, it just no, goes I... really slow. But if you look back and take an honest look, like you mentioned, the red flags are usually there. And yeah. you, you, know, you mentioned that <laughs> you got the flu. I was going to ask you, what was it like when you got sober? You're probably wondering, is this a hangover or am I you know, <laughs> down with the flu? What was it like? I know. Well, so a lot of people keep asking me, you know, when they're in the first couple of weeks, what was your first couple of weeks like? Well, it was awful. Basically, I, I'd been in a bit of a bad relationship that was, that was falling apart. I um, got a call out of the blue to change jobs, uh, a job that I'd been in for 11 years. And then to change jobs. So I'd made the decision to do that, but was worried about that. And also knew that I was going to be giving up drinking. So whether the flu, because I've never had the flu before. And it literally struck me down. Like I always thought the flu was just like a bit of a bad cold. It's not a bit of a bad cold. It's like no, an absolute nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And so it's really hard to say whether that was my body shutting down, going, right, this is the right time for you to be doing this. Or it was a reaction, a stress reaction to all of the other things that were going on, or whether it was just a common cold that got out of control. I don't really, I don't really know what it was, but it did literally shut me down, and it shut me down on every, you know, every level. I, I was just incapable of doing anything. But I think that was amazing because by the time I started getting better, the last thing I wanted was a drink. I, I knew I wasn't going to smoke again because once I'd gone so far, there was no point. So, yeah, it was worse than a hangover. But in a way, it felt it, it just felt like my body was shutting down and trying to tell me something, really. I think one of the last times I got the flu, I was in high school and I partied my arse off. And, yeah, I, I didn't really understand what a hangover was. I was like, is this a hangover? I thought they were supposed to get better. <laughs> and I got my ass kicked for like five days from the flu. So I kind of know how that feels. That was the last time yeah. I had the flu it was like, you know, 18, 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And they suck. And so, you know, yeah, you what never it, want that again. <laughs> no, not at all. And, you know, what does it look like in a, in, in a day in the life of Don? I mean, how, how are you staying sober now? You mentioned you blogged about it and we'll talk more about your blog in a bit, but how, how okay. are you doing this? Well, it's, it's a matter of changing everything. I think that was the other thing is I was very naive that I thought that life would carry on the same the only difference would be that I would substitute wine with something else, you know, soft drink. But everything has changed. As I say, my job's changed. So that is nearer to home. So it allows me to walk to work, whereas before I was in a car all the time, like mm -hmm. all day long. So I and, and the job starts later. So the alarm goes off. And the first thing I do is go onto the blog. I source quotes, positive quotes for people you know, I've got quite a few followers now who rely on that kind of information first thing in the morning to get them through the day. And so I guess that kind of centers me as well, because while I'm helping them, it, you know, it's helping me too. So I do that probably for the first half an hour that I'm awake, have a coffee, get ready for work, then walk into work. And whilst I'm doing all of that, I'm thinking of blog content for the next week. I try and write a post at least once a week. So it's, you know, trying to think of topics to write about normally I'm I just get kind of struck down by something that I've thought about and and the writing comes and it's done so but that's becoming less and less as time goes on because obviously the longer you've been sober there's less 
well, I say there's less to talk about. There's always something to talk about. But, <laughs> you know, I've said quite a lot up to this point. Get to work, do a day's work and then come home. And again, it's just sourcing information, things that I think are relevant and trying to keep people, other people encouraged to to carry on. I I used to have like a drink when I got home from work that resembled a glass of wine. You know, I'd have a wine glass and I'd have, I don't know, my favourite is elderflower. Elderflower and soda. I don't think you have elderflower there, actually. So I get asked by a lot of American followers, what is elderflower? It's like my favourite. And I've noticed that I don't do that rewarding thing so much six months down the line. You know, I have a drink because I'm thirsty. Not that kind of mentality of you finish work, have that special drink. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean, but I have no idea what you mean with the elderflower. Not a, <laughs> not a clue. I thought I've heard of all the words in the dictionary, but that's that's one that just went. Right have you over not my even head. heard of elderflower itself? I've heard of flowers. There's a bunch of them in Montana. <laughs> there there are a lot of wildflowers. There's a sunflower I'm looking at right now. But elderflower, <laughs> what, what is that? Yeah, it, it's oh god, I don't even know how I don't even know how to describe it. But I'm gathering it's a it's a British flower, and they make a, a cordial out of it. Which wait, wait, wait. I... accordio? We're just like blowing my mind here. What is what? I've heard an, I've heard I've heard of an accordion. What's accordion? No, I've heard a cardio. Accordion. So it's C O R D I A L. Okay. It's like somewhat you more mix familiar. The drink. Yeah, you mix. So you put in an inch of the drink, mm-hmm. and then you pour soda in. So it's a bit like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what you'd have there because you've got, you know, it's it's not like a Coke or a Sprite or something like that, which That's is already all we made got, up. Just those two. I know, but this is like massive. You could import this and make a lot of money. Ah, business number six. I, I got my hands full already. <laughs> it sounds really cool, though. I'm actually going to Google uh, box, yeah, Google. box elder flower or something. I know there's no box Google, in front of it. Um, it's a company called Belvoir, B-E-L-V-O-I-R, and they've got a history of elderflower on there, so you can read that. Gotcha, gotcha. I've I've, I've got a history of uh, making it to the world market and buying ginger beer, so I'll have to deviate from my norm. <laughs> That's well, ginger, beer, ginger beer is my other favorite, actually. Yeah, that stuff's solid gold. But hey, you, yeah. you, you commented on a value bomb. You said something earlier. And I just instantly wrote it down. You're like, oh, I was a little naive that I, I wasn't have to change much. I just had to change everything. And there's a quote yeah. in recovery that, yeah, you don't have to change much. You just got to change everything. <laughs> and is that how, is that pretty much how it went down for you? Pretty much, yeah. I think the one thing I've really struggled with, and I'm still struggling with, but I'm kind of accepting that maybe. I will always struggle with it is the social side of things. I was the party animal. You know, if there was ever anybody who was left at the party, it was me. And it's difficult to go from that to I've got to go home before it's dark because otherwise I'm going to freak out. And I, you know, I'm not good at being at a party. I feel like I'm, I don't know, a bit of a wallflower, another flower word, but a bit of a wallflower. <laughs> I, I, I find it hard to, socialize without alcohol I, I keep forcing myself into situations in the hope that it will get better but I'm kind of coming to the conclusion that it's not it I'm not good with big crowds I'm better off with three or four people around a dinner table I'm fine and I don't mind if they drink they can drink as much as they like that doesn't bother me it's just I've kind of I, I haven't got the confidence that I I had and so 
that is where life has massively changed because I'm not going out as much. I'm not staying out till two o'clock in the morning. You know, I'm not that person anymore. And I've kind of come to terms with the fact that I won't ever be that person again. You know, I did a post on this in Cafe RE, which is our private community for Recovery Elevator, about limitations. And you're right. It does get a little bit easier the further you go into sobriety, but I've got limitations. You know, I used to close, yeah. I used to close the bars and the clubs down, but, you know, I'm not going to be doing that as much anymore. But at the end no. of the day... You know, for example, this last weekend, I went to Minnesota with 12 people. There was only two sober people on the trip. And at the end, at the end, it was a total wash. Like I didn't stay up till 4 a.m., but I was up at 8. And the other people slept till like 2 in the afternoon at times. I mean, that's the max. Yeah. But, you know, at the end, it's kind of a wash. But I understand there are some limitations of just, you know, what I can do as a human being. You know, and I think that's going to get easier for you. I'm going to shift gears a little bit right now, Don, but what have you learned most about yourself in this last six months of sobriety? I think it is, uh, I, I've never really believed in all this loving yourself business and the inner you, <laughs> you know. That, I'm is always, that like a slogan somebody... you've heard? You're just like, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. do it. You've got to love yourself, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I've never, I've never been into all of that. And now I keep saying to people, you know, you've got to love yourself. Number one, you have to love yourself because (laughs) I didn't love myself for 40 years. I haven't loved myself. And I think that's where the bingy stuff comes from. You know, it's fill the hole, fill whatever's missing. I'm still not there as to what is missing, but I've realized that I'm not the person that I thought I was. I'm nicer than I thought I was. Um, I've got a lot of love to give and a lot of, I don't know what the word is you know through the blog I'm helping a lot of people which in my previous job it was uh, you know I wasn't really helping people and I didn't think I could because the job didn't in you know the, oh god I can't get my words out but <laughs> I I, I've, le- I've learned that I you know I can help people and that actually there's something inside me which quite enjoys doing it and I didn't realize that before so, yeah, it's it's just being confident in myself, I guess, rather than what other people think of me. It's it's about what I think about myself and nobody else really matters. Great Metallica song. But there's another thing you said there that I want to ask upon. You, you mentioned I'm not quite there figuring out what's not there. Did I hear you right? Can you comment a yeah. little bit more about that? <laughs> I think it makes sense. I think everybody feels that... Uh, the reason you drink is because there's something fundamentally wrong, whether it's something that happened to you or something that's wrong with you or something you're missing or lacking or something you didn't get. And, you know, being so or becoming sober makes you think a lot as to why did I get like that? What is it about myself that I'm trying to drown? Why am I being, you know, so um, self-damaging? Why, why am I doing that? And I keep searching and I, I don't think that, you know, I had a great childhood. I I didn't, I, you know, I didn't want for anything. Nothing majorly bad touch words has happened to me, you know, all of this stuff. So it's kind of like it's just accepting that maybe that's just the way that it was rather than blaming it on something. Maybe that is just the way that it is. I am just a bingy person that likes binging and that's got to stop because it's not doing me any good. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I want to ask you another question. So I've, you know, I've fully subscribed to the void pedagogy of things, you know, that thinking, 
But yeah, what do you, how do you feel about, you know, perhaps alcohol is just an extremely addictive substance that when somebody has the genetic makeup that they'll eventually become addicted to it. And perhaps there is no void. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, uh, I, whether it's the substance that's, that's addictive for me or whether it's the feeling, because for me, I wasn't, uh, you know, some people talk about, you know, drinking to go numb. I didn't go numb with it. It made me really emotional. I was the crier. You know, everything came out. I'd be crying. People would say, what are you crying about? I was like, don't have a clue, but I'm just <laughs> crying. You know, yeah. so for me, it was like, it, it it gave me an emotional release, even worse than normal, because I'm, I'm particularly over-emotional anyway. But I was just like, you know, oh God, where is me? And crying, crying, crying. So, not that I was addicted to feeling like that, but immediately before crying, I'd feel pretty amazing, probably mm-hmm. for a window of about 15 minutes. It, you know, there'd be a moment there that was really good, which is why you drink. And then you go over the top and then you're just miserable. So whether it's the substance that, that I was addicted to, I think it's I think really it was more the way that it made me feel in that 15 minutes before the crying started. Yeah, you know, I, gosh, I'm not trying to convince you of either way or not, you know, but when I think back on my childhood, I skinned my knee when I was six on a BMX bike and I didn't even need a Band-Aid, you know, it's just like I I was a white kid who grew up in a privileged household and I had everything that I needed and maybe I just became addicted to a very addictive substance called alcohol given my genetic makeup, but I I don't, you know, I don't know. I've paid a lot of money to therapists who have helped me try to uncover what I'm trying to fill the void with. But, you know, it could be that simple for me and it's different for everybody. Mm. But, yeah, you know, let me let me ask you this question. You know, what's what is what's your goal in sobriety? What's on your bucket list still? I've always wanted to go to Thailand and I was kind of waiting. I think that's another thing that sobriety's taught me is this, uh, you know, stop waiting around for something to happen. You know, it's not going to happen unless you go and get it. And I was too lazy and tired and in bed to go out and get it. Now I'm like, you know, full of energy and I've decided I want to go to Thailand and I'm going to do it on my own. So I'm planning to go in January. So I will have been sober for a year. Uh, I've just got to get over the whole social side of things. But I guess throwing myself in the deep end and being on my own in a foreign country I've never been to before is a good way to do it. So, yeah, I'm going to book a ticket and go and do that on my own. So Um, I've got a crazy idea, Dawn. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, that was actually a similar bucket list item for me. And this last January, I went to Thailand and volunteered at a rehab center. And I know they're always... Yeah, it's called Hope Rehab Thailand. They're about an hour south of Bangkok. And I'm planning on going back again this January. But yeah, you should reach out to them and see if you you, you could... Oh, wow. Yeah, if you could blog about it. How long did you go for? I was there for about three weeks. It was awesome. It was really cool. Yeah. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah. You know, after we finish recording, I can give you information, but it's it's just hope we have Thailand. And, you know, if shit ever hits the fan again for me, which it could, I'm only worried about today. That's where I'm going to go. I'm definitely going to hope rehab Thailand to sober up again. If that's a big if, if I ever drink again. Yeah. And, you know, never say never. I mean, I'm, I know that you can't, you know, you can't say it's forever, but you can give it a bloody good shot, can't you? Yeah, Ben Harper can sing a lot of songs about forever, but I'm not Ben Harper. Not even close. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, And Don, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Okay. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking? 
I think the one that shocked me the most was getting home, waking up the next day and about four in the afternoon going through my bag and finding out that I'd got a taxi home that I had no recollection of Mm -hmm. at all. I had the taxi card with the taxi number on and just no recollection at all. And I think that was a moment that you kind of think, "Mm, maybe things need to change. Sure. And did you ever have an aha moment indicating that you perhaps couldn't control your drinking? Many. Yeah, many. I I was a, a drunk texter. So the next day I would be waking up. I, sometimes I couldn't even touch my phone because I knew that I would have been in touch with some people, but I had no idea who I would have phoned or texted and what I would have said. So, yeah, they were my worst moments, really, is um, working out who I'd contacted the night before. And Don, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? I've got lots of ideas in the pipeline, maybe some kind of event obviously keep the blog going hopefully it will continue in the future you know beyond just being sober maybe just a sober lifestyle kind of blog yeah something like that maybe the rehab center in january you never know there you go and what's your favorite resource in recovery i love the online forums that we've got a few here in the uk club soda has been amazing team sober uk the way back yeah basically those and listening to podcasts which is something I never did before, but I'm starting to listen to podcasts more than I do to music. I just think it's amazing learning about other people's journeys and, and hearing where they where they started and where they are now. And Don, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? As I said, I think earlier, is breaking it down into chunks. I think if you say I'm going to give up alcohol forever, it's just so massive that it, it freaks you out. I think the best thing to do is, is go for each day at a time, as we all know, up to 30 days, then 60 days, 90 days, and then move move forward from there. That's how I did it, and it's worked. So I, you know, I'm proof that doing it in small chunks can work. And then, is there a time when you're cured? Cured? Yeah. It's kind of a trick question. <laughs> I don't have the answers to this. I'm just wondering. Like, do God, you, is there a date circled know. on your calendar? Is just like cured? wouldn't that be great i don't think so but i i I think you know six months has definitely been a turning point it's all about unpicking your habits and how long does it take to unpick a habit you know it's been a habit for most of my adult life and they say what goes up has to come down so if it took 20 years to build it up maybe it'll take 20 years to get rid of it i don't know but um i love it yeah yeah, bad and, habits, huh? And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking or in early sobriety? Never give up. I know some people try and try and try again, but and I just admire them because they don't give up and they will get there. Not everybody is is lucky enough to, to decide to do it and, and it's successful. And I definitely recommend writing about it. Write everything down. Write down how you're feeling and listen to as much information and and read self-help books honestly I just literally flooded my mind that's what I did was flood my mind full of sobriety and and you know that keeps you on the straight and narrow yeah what's the what's the blog it's called sober fish but how do we how do we find it so it's on Facebook that is called the sober fish story and it's also uh, my website is www.soberfish.co.uk dot co dot uk i yeah. love it and before we depart don give listeners your own customized you might be an alcoholic gift line 
if you find yourself questioning that you might be an alcoholic, then you probably are. Yeah, sometimes it's just that simple. And Don, thank you so much for joining us on the Recovery Elevator Podcast. It's been my pleasure speaking with you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Now, we are well over 30 minutes into this podcast, and there's been something that has not been said yet. I'm going to give you a couple seconds to think about it. That's been AA. Yeah. In the interview with Dawn, she didn't mention the word AA, which is totally fine. This podcast has nothing to do with AA. But towards the end of the interview, I looked down at my notes, and then I realized, I like, wow, there has been no mention of Alcoholics Anonymous, the infamous 12-step program. The reason why I bring this up is that a lot of people, in fact, the majority of people, and I've even done a podcast episode about this. I think it was titled something like how many of us get sober or the majority of us get sober. I think it was in the 60s, 70s, or 80s. Yeah, I just narrowed it down to about 40 hours worth of recordings. Sorry, I couldn't be more direct. But the majority of people get sober without AA. Before I got sober, I thought it was AA or bust. I thought that was my only option. But... The majority of people don't use a 12-step program to get sober. So if you're listening to this right now and you've got a love-hate relationship, a love-love relationship, or a hate-hate relationship with AA, that's totally fine. You don't have to go through the rooms of the 12-steps recovery process to get sober. Okay, recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. You got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. 